and 60. And uh, this may be a little new, newer for some of you, but a great hymn. I know we've sung it before. 360. I've a message from the Lord. Hallelujah. The message unto you I'll give. Tis recorded in His Word. Hallelujah. It is only that you look and live. Look and live, my brother, live. Look to Jesus now and live. Tis recorded in His Word. Hallelujah. It is only that you look and live. I've a message full of love. Hallelujah. A message, oh my friend, for you. Tis a message from above, hallelujah. Jesus said it, and I know tis true. Look and live, my brother, live. Jesus now and live. Tis recorded in his word, hallelujah. It is only that you look and live. Life is offered unto you, hallelujah. Eternal life thy soul shall have If you only look to Him, hallelujah Look to Jesus who alone can save Look and live, my brother, live Look to Jesus now and live Tis recorded in His Word, hallelujah It is only that you look and live On that last I will tell you how I came, hallelujah, to Jesus when he made me whole. T'was believing on his name, hallelujah, I trusted and he saved my soul. Look and live, my brother, live, look to Jesus now and live. Is recorded in his word, hallelujah. It is only that you look and live. And let's turn to 422. Seems like it's been a long time since we've sung this song. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. Oh, how sweet the glorious message, simple faith may claim. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. Oh, he loves to save the sinful, heal the sick and lame. Cheer the mourner, calm the tempest, glory to his name. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. He who pardoned daring Peter never needs thou fear. He who came to faithless Thomas, all thy doubt will clear. He who let the loved disciple on his bosom rest, bids thee still with love as tender lean upon his breast. 
Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. On that last, as of old, he walked to Maus with them to abide. So through all life's way he walketh ever near our side. Soon again shall we behold him hasten, Lord, the day. But twill still be this same Jesus as he went away. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. And let's turn to one more, 209. Is it the crowning day, 209? Jesus may come today, glad day, glad day, and I would see my friend. Dangers and troubles would end if Jesus should come today. Glad day, glad day, is it the crowning day? I'll live for today, nor anxious be. Jesus, my Lord, I soon shall see. Glad day, glad day, is it the crowning day? I may go home today. Glad day, glad day, seemeth I hear their song. Hail to the radiant throng, if I should go home today. Glad day, glad day, is it the crowning day? I'll live for today, nor anxious be. Jesus, my Lord, I soon shall see. Glad day, glad day. Is it the crowning day? On the last, faithful I'll be today. Glad day, glad day, and I will freely tell why I should love him so well, for he is my all today. Glad day, glad day, is it the crowning day? I'll live for today, nor anxious be. Jesus, my Lord, I soon shall see. Glad day, glad day, is it the 
crowning day. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful that this day can be a glad day. Lord, should we go home today? Should you come back today? Should anything else happen? We know that you're still the king. You're the ruler of all. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to live in that knowledge and in that truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And uh, I want to welcome you to our services tonight. And I forgot to ask the church. I asked the men on Saturday afternoon to uh, pray because uh, Friday night I called in for my jury duty. And uh, so I reported early Monday morning and uh, it took them uh, a day and a half to pick the jurors. I was alternate number one. And uh, then uh, we heard opening arguments Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday before the evidence started. The bailiff came in and said uh, they settled. And we all got to go home. Praise God. No more jury duty for six years. And uh, I was... Kind of curious about a few things, but not curious enough to want to hang around for the next three or four days to find out. But uh, praise the Lord, uh, uh, that was over with. And uh, Brother Shaw uh, and uh, Brother Ted and Brother Franz and I started work in the basement this week. Uh, you ladies that were here for the prayer meeting, uh, pray for the missionaries, please, and pray for the mess, all right? Uh, there's a lot. Uh, what we're trying to do is do this thing in packages so that uh, we can keep the room usable, of course, for uh, the Iglesia Bautista International and anything else that is going on. And uh, we're going to ask anyone that has some free time tomorrow night, say from 6.30 or so, and uh, we, we need... Uh, uh, you know, strong backs, weak minds, that kind of a thing. I got to talk to a couple, but I didn't get to talk to everybody. But uh, if you'd be able to give us just a couple of hours. And uh, ladies, uh, what we'd like you to do is just pray at this point. Uh, if you saw the mess that was down there, uh, you know why I'm asking you to pray. Uh, Brother Shaw and I will be working through the day uh, uh, some. And uh, uh, we ended up tearing the first wall apart only to find out that we could not do the things that we wanted to do before we didn't know what was behind the wall. And does that make any sense? Uh, so uh, so we have uh, have to change the plans a little bit and uh, pray with us about that if you would. And uh, uh, we were hoping to move the wall and get the radiators out of the wall. And uh, they have got more plumbing stuck on that wall than is imaginable. Pipes going everywhere, so we're going to leave the wall alone. Uh, but we're going to put some nice sheetrock over top of it and clean it up, and it'll look like a brand new place when we're done. So uh, pray about that if you would. And um, then uh, don't forget, we're still going to be trying to pass out tracks and things. We've got uh, several... Uh, different uh, stuff on order. Uh, I've been working on several new tracks uh, since I don't know when. I mean, I've been mulling things over in my mind and and uh, with some of the software updates and things we approved in the business meeting, 
uh, we should be able to get those tracks to press here within the next few weeks. So uh, we're talking about uh, he heading a lot of different directions and just sometimes I feel like I need a road map to get out of my office. So just uh, pray uh, about that if you would. And uh, it looks like, Lord willing, we'll have about two more weeks in, in this series on Thursday night. Uh, we're going to uh, spend uh, hopefully a week or so on pictures of Christ in the tabernacle. And then uh, we, uh, we will uh, start into the book of Hebrews. Uh, this is one of those books, you know, it's kind of like the basement project. I've been eagerly awaiting to get started, but I kind of dread all the work that's going to be involved. And so uh, uh, pray about that one, if you would, as well. And uh, um, don't forget, of course, uh, all of the uh, regular things going on at the church. Invite your friends and, and family to come with us to the services. And uh, let's sing one more song and we'll get into the Bible study tonight. 170 saved by the blood. 170. Saved by the blood of the crucified one, now ransomed from sin and a new work begun. Sing praise to the Father and praise to the Son, saved by the blood of the crucified one. Saved, saved, my sins are all pardoned, my gift. Is all gone, save. I'm saved by the blood of the crucified one. Saved by the blood of the crucified one. The angels rejoicing because it is done. A child of the Father joined heir with the Son. Saved by the blood of the crucified one. Saved, saved. My sins are all pardoned. My guilt is all gone. Saved, I'm saved by the blood of the crucified one. Let's sing that third as the last. Saved by the blood of the crucified one, the Father he spake and his will it was done. Great price of my pardon, his own precious Son. Saved by the blood of the crucified one. Saved, saved, my sins are all pardoned, my guilt is all gone. Saved, saved, I'm saved, the crucified one. Amen. Brother George, would you mind grabbing me a drink of water here? Got to keep the winter. Brother Teddy, anybody, whoever's back there, got to keep the windmill watered up. If you need a, 
any lessons? Uh, I think we ran off some. Uh, if you need a copy, hold your hand up there. If we need any more, uh, the master is on the copy machine. We can run a few more. And uh, so um, let's. We're going to start uh, in uh, Numbers chapter 21 tonight. Numbers chapter 21. And last week we're talking physical pictures of Christ in the New Testament. We talked about the rock at Horeb, the the rock that uh, was smitten once. Uh, then it was supposed to be spoken to and the water of life comes out and it didn't happen that way. And uh, God was upset at Moses for um, uh, messing up the picture that God was trying to paint. But even though man messes up the picture, you can still see very clearly the picture God's trying to paint. Amen? And then we talked about the manna in the wilderness, how that Jesus is the bread of life, how that he used that bread that was given from heaven every day to picture the work and the life that he would do and how that, uh, as he said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, they are life. He was speaking about spiritually things, the the bread of life and how that Jesus fulfills all of those things. Numbers chapter 21 is a rather sad story. In verse 4, it says, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people speak against God and against Moses. Now, here's what they said. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness, for there is no bread? Now, was that true? There was bread every day, wasn't there? So what was the problem? Neither is there any water. God had just provided them water in the chapter before out of the rock that Moses was supposed to speak to. And our soul loatheth this light bread. Now, that sounds like one of mine. Uh, Peter, why don't you go back and get your brother, and if he's doing that, just take him upstairs. We'll get you the tape. And um, in verse 5, here's what they're saying. There says, there is no bread... Yet the manna was there every day. There is no water. When there was no water, God brought it out of the rock. It says, Our soul loatheth, we hate, we despise what God has given us to provide for us each day. Now, there, there's a whole lot of lessons to learn in this story. And I praise God that we really don't have to worry uh, about what happened next. Uh, but in verse 6, it says, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Now, there's been quite a dispute over fiery serpents, whether it meant the color of the serpent as being 
the color of fire, red or bright yellow, or maybe even a combination of those things, or whether these were actually serpents made out of fire that were some type of spiritual apparition and, and appeared there. Uh, I think the answer is, is fairly simple and in the text. In verse 7, after all these people were dying because of being bitten by the serpents, therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he will take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Now the Lord's answer to Moses' prayer is going to be rather strange. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if the serpent, a serpent, had bitten any man when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now God said, Moses, you make a fiery serpent. So Moses went and he got brass and he made, the Bible says, a fiery serpent. And so the simplest understanding of that was the fiery is talking about a real live snake that was on the ground that was about the color of the brass that Moses made the serpent out of. Now that's the simplest understanding that I can give you from the text uh, if you want to come up and say after service, well, Pastor, I just really, really believe they were made out of fire. And I'll tell you, you're welcome to that opinion. I don't think that you're transgressing the text. Uh, I think it's a little more complicated than just making it a yellow-colored serpent, the serpent, the color of the brass that he made it out of. Uh, but you can go either way because guess what? It really doesn't make that much of a difference what color or what the composition of the snakes were. Uh, but when they bit people, they died. And uh, someone did, and I, I'm sorry, I can't remember all the exact, because I, I ran out of time to look it up again, but uh, there is some type of adder that lives over in that part of the world that is about the color of bright brass and is uh, deadly poison, just as the Bible says. And, and so my... Uh, idea here is that God sent live snakes among the people. They bit the people. The people died. And Moses made a serpent out of brass and he stuck it on a pole. And whoever looked at the serpent lived. Now, whenever we're looking for pictures in the Bible... What we want to find is we want to find testimony in the New Testament that talks and makes the connection. So turn to John chapter 3. And we're going to get the most reliable source in the Bible. Of course, there's only one source of the Bible. That's the Holy Spirit of God. And uh, everything in your Bible is absolutely reliable. But John chapter 3, verse 14 it says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Read verse 16 with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, most of us know John 3.16, 
How many of you, as we went through and told the story of the brazen serpent in Numbers chapter 21, immediately went in your mind to John chapter 3, verse 16? Very few, I would think. Uh, and yet, that's the context that Jesus was using when he said, John 3, 16, he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And we look to Jesus through faith and believe on Him, and that's where salvation is. And the most wonderful thing about that whole picture is there's absolutely no room for any works in your salvation. You know, most churches have this thing of salvation all backwards. They say... You come to church and you listen to our rules and you do what we say and hopefully one day you'll be good enough to go to heaven. Jesus said, you come to me, I'll give you salvation, I'll give you assurance of heaven just as sure as you were already there and then you can take the rest of your life and use it to serve me. And I'll tell you, I, I, I like God's way a whole lot better than man's way. I mean, how good is good, my friend? How many good things do you have to do to be accepted by God? No one can answer that question. The Bible does. Jesus said, Why callest thou me good? There is none good save one that is God. And Jesus knew the man to whom he was addressing that statement would not believe that he was God because that man was more in love with his possessions than he was with the God of heaven who unbeknownst to him was standing right in front of him. And again, we'll touch on this very same thing when we get down here to uh, the story of Jonah. But the idea here is people were dying because of their sin. God told Moses to put a serpent on a pole. Moses made one out of brass. He stuck it on a pole and whoever looked at that serpent lived. Now, I'll tell you, that doesn't make any sense. I remember... Well, when I was in uh, Boys Brigade and, and different, that's a Christian Boy Scouts type thing I was in when I was a kid. And they taught us how to take care of snake bites. You know, you got out a razor blade and then you put a little X through the wound and, and you had to suck the poison out and make sure that you didn't have any open sores in your mouth or you'd be getting the poison into you. And, and uh, uh, But if it went down into your stomach, it's not going to do anything but give you a bellyache. Uh, but uh, it's when the poison gets into your blood that it kills you. But God said, just look at the serpent and you'll live. Just look to Jesus Christ and you'll live. Stop trying to do all of these things. This is what the story of the brazen serpent teaches us that Jesus has completed all the work to save us from death, and all we must do is look at Him. Now, there's an interesting little aside to this story, and I want you to turn with me to the book of Second Kings, chapter 18. And as I was pondering this, and, and uh, I've been through this story so many times, Second Kings, chapter 18, and verse 4, Oh, let's get these on here. I was in 1 Kings chapter 18. It says, And Jezebel cut off all the prophets. And I'm saying, boy, that's not where I want to be. 
Okay. Uh, the thing is, it's on the same place on the page, and so I thought for sure I was at the right place. Now, 2 Kings chapter 18, 2 Kings chapter 18. And it says in verse 1 that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. And verse 3, And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. Verse 4, He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. And if you have a Bible with notes in it, it tells you the meaning of that word is a piece of brass. That's what Nehushtan means. And um, the interesting thing is here, they had taken the element, the physical picture of God's grace and salvation from those snake bites and made it an idol. And there are people today that take the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and make it idolatry. They worship all the things that Jesus did and refuse to simply trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, there's many ways to do that. Many, many different ways. One of the worst ways and one of the most devious ways is that we somehow try to pay God back for our sins. What we're really doing is we're saying, we know what you did on the cross, Jesus, but I've got to do this right here to take care of this thing that I did. And there's even saved people that get wrapped up into this thing and, and, and try to somehow pay God back for their sins. You can't pay God for your sins. Only the work of Jesus can. And, and I don't mean to uh, just condemn other religions. I have a, a, a book in my office. It's a sermon book uh, for Catholic priests printed in 1909. And in there... Uh, somebody gave me the book years ago and, and I was reading through that and it, and it talks about the Roman Catholic Mass in, the, in that book which is very similar to the Mass in the Orthodox Church and what it is, uh, uh, it is not a reenactment. It is not a symbol of what Jesus did on the cross according to what this priest wrote in this book and this was the book that was printed and published and they sent it out to the priest and the priests were supposed to read the sermons out of this book on different Sundays. And many denominations have done that. But it said that the Mass was the re-crucifixion of Christ of which the penitent saint re-offered the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus Christ to pay for the sins that had just been confessed to the priest. Now, that, my friend, is taking what Jesus Christ did and doing exactly right here 
as the children of Israel did. And many people do this, uh, not just the, the Catholic and the Orthodox churches, they, they all do this. They believe that Jesus must constantly die on the cross in order to pay the price for sins. Read the book of Hebrews. Now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sins by the sacrifice of himself. For it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered. And so we, we look at what Jesus is doing here, and, and we see not only do we see the picture of the work of Jesus Christ and how the salvation is simply believing on the Lord, we also see the illustration of what other people will do with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and how that they talk about it and actually make it an object of worship and miss the entire meaning of what was truly done. You cannot worship God's, the object of God's grace. Um, I'm wording this all wrong. Uh, I'm sorry. You, you can take what God has done and worship the externals and never get the real truth applied to your life. That's what the brazen serpent teaches us. It teaches us that salvation is so simple. Jesus said, as they lifted up the serpent, so must I be lifted up. You looked at the serpent, Jesus said, believe on me. The children of Israel, God's own people, took that brazen serpent that was on a pole, and interesting enough, the pole represents the cross of Jesus. Amen. And they took that serpent upon a pole and they stuck it in the ground and they went and they got the incense that they offered to, to their false gods and to the different things that they worshipped, the stars in heaven and Moloch and all of these different things that they did. And they offered that incense unto that brazen serpent somehow hoping that it would do something for them. And praise the Lord, good old King Hezekiah came along and he said, that brazen serpent is not the, your salvation. It is just a representation of God's grace. And he busted it in pieces and he called it Nehushtan. It's just a piece of brass. If you don't have the reality, that brazen serpent isn't going to get you anywhere. In fact, they were disobeying God when they worshipped something, even though at one time all you had to do was look at that and it would give you life. Now we're going to go back to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. This is We're going back in time, early in the wanderings of the children of Israel. The first part of this chapter is a song that Moses sang uh, uh, in triumph over the Red Sea. They had just come through the Red Sea. They had seen Pharaoh and his army destroyed. Now, here's what the equivalent of that thing is. Pharaoh's army at that time was the most powerful army 
in the face of the earth. Now, could you imagine standing on the shores of the Red Sea and watching the most powerful army? By the way, Yul Brenner went in with... <laughs> I hate that. I hate that movie. Yul Brenner stands up on the shore and gets a little water splashed on his chariot. That's not the way it happened in the book of the Exodus. Pharaoh was leading his forces to destroy the children of Israel, and he and his army were destroyed completely. And they come down to verse 23. Well, let's read verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Uh-oh. And they came to Marah, and they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. Now, does anybody want to venture to guess what Marah means? How about bitter? Uh, that's exactly what it means. And, uh, and the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him what? A tree. It's interesting. But look what happens. Which, when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to the commandments and keep his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now we look at the children of Israel. They just finished the victory at the Red Sea. They cross over here. They come to a place called Marah, which is bitter because the waters are bitter. And, and by the way, uh, when it's talking about bitter water, uh, how many of you have ever heard of alkali water? Uh, you drink it, you will die. Uh, that's what it's talking about here. It's talking about water that is that is poisoned. It it is bitter because it is full of sediment and and uh, things you can uh, out in certain parts of the Midwest. They would have springs of water seeping out of the rocks, and because of the mineral content of some of those rocks, uh, you get a nice load of uh, arsenic water. And uh, it would be very, very bitter and make you feel weird. Uh, and if you drank it for three or four weeks, you would, you would die. You, I mean, you will. Arsenic is a, is a very serious poison, even in small, small amounts. And, and uh, I'm not saying that was arsenic in the water. I don't know what it was, but there's chemicals and substances in this water. God showed Moses a tree. He went over and he cut down the tree. He threw the tree into the bitter water, and the waters were made sweet, and they gave people life. Now, Jesus is called the branch. Where do branches come from? Trees. In Jeremiah... Chapter 23, verse 5, Jeremiah 33:15, Zechariah 3:8 and 6:12. In these four verses, Jesus is called the branch. 
They had to take the branch and put it into the bitter water, and the water was made sweet. You take the branch, Jesus Christ, and put it into your bitter, sin-filled life that will kill you, by the way, and your life will be made sweet, and he will give you life. Isn't that a pretty picture? Jesus is the branch that makes the bitter, death-filled water of sin sweet and gives life. And that is just uh, a, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And what we're going to do is we're going to start with the picture because uh, we've got 15 minutes left in our Bible study time tonight. And, uh, and I want to make sure that we get the connection. We could spend the whole evening just talking about Jonah. And really, there's not a lot about Jonah that is connected just with the brazen serpents. Uh, not everything there uh, is, is connected the same way. Not every part of the story, but... In chapter 12, verse 38, it says, Then certain of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. Now, what's the context of this passage? Well, we need to take 30 seconds here and explain. Anytime I come through Matthew chapter 12, we've got to spend just a few minutes on verse 31. How many of you have heard of the term, the unpardonable sin? I mean, that is a term that is used a whole lot. It comes from verse 31, and it is the context in which this sign and this picture is given to us. Verse 31, Jesus is speaking. He says, Wherefore I say unto you, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Now, those are pretty harsh words. I, I had a young fellow. Now, he's, he's missed his appointment but uh, for about the past three or four years, he has called me up at least once every year, if not more, and says, Now, Pastor Pete, will you go through that unpardonable sin thing again? Because I think I've done it. And uh, I'll take him back here, and then I'll take him over to the book of Mark. And uh, here is the context. The scribes and the Pharisees had been watching Jesus work. Jesus was casting out uh, the devil's and they said, Aha, we've got it. Jesus is using the power of Satan to cast out the devils. He hath an unclean spirit. The reason Jesus is able to command those spirits with power is because he's full of the devil himself. Now, how could someone make a statement like that without already in their heart, making the 
willful and positive choice that Jesus Christ is not from God at all. If you can look at the truth of God and say that must be from the devil, that's, that's what happened here. Now, there is some debate, and I'm not going to get into it tonight. We don't have time, but some people say, can you even commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit today? Because how do you know that it's the Holy Spirit that's actually doing the work? And, and I'm, I'm not going to argue that point. I can't answer that question. But uh, let's just make a simple statement here. By the time you commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you have already rejected Jesus eternally and forever, and you don't care about it anymore. If you have any desire at all to serve and love Christ, I can promise you, you have not committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Because... The people that did this were so far removed when they saw Jesus doing the works of God. They said, my only explanation is it had to be from the devil. You see, because they knew that they had the truth. You couldn't shake them. And it's these very same people that had just blasphemed the Holy Spirit that came to Jesus in verse 38 and said, we want a sign from you, Jesus. We want you to prove who you are. And you know what? You cannot prove something to someone who doesn't want it to be proved to them. You ever thought about that? You ever taken one of those philosophy classes in school where the professor walks in and says, are we in this room? Or do we just think we're in this room? Anybody remember things like that? I've heard stories. Praise God, I never had a class like that. But if somebody doesn't want something proved to them, you can't prove it to them no matter what. Because they've already made... That's why the Bible says the fool has said in his heart, not his head. Because if he's using his head, he'd have to believe there's a God. The fool said in his heart, there is no God. And these people had already passed the bar and they, they, they had already rejected Jesus completely and eternally. But they say, Jesus, we want you to prove who you, who you are. And so Jesus makes a statement. He says, but he answered and said unto them an evil an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Now, we've got to throw this in. There's a whole lot of people talking about signs and wonders today. Just turn on TVN and any of those religious things. and I want a sign from heaven. All of these things. Somebody pointed out several years ago, it's interesting that the same people that were talking about signs and wonders were... Uh, turned out to produce some of the most wicked and adulterous preachers that have ever uh, claimed to hold the office of pastor. Just had to throw that in. 
if you're seeking after signs, you better be careful. There's only one sign given to this generation, and that's this book right here. That's the only, and that's the only thing God has given us. Uh, you can feel really good in your heart about anything if you want to. And so, and in fact, I remember in my heathen days when I was listening to country music, Dolly Parton had a song that heaven's just a sin away. And uh, some rock star said heaven is a place on earth. I can't remember which one did that because I don't follow it, never have followed that stuff. And uh, everybody comes up with these all kinds of crazy, whacked out ideas. But here's what Jesus said. An adulterous and wicked generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign given it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas or Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Now, we know the story of Jonah. Jonah was the disobedient prophet. That's not part of the picture and the sign. That's why we did not include Jonah when we were talking people pictures, because Jonah doesn't match up. He's not a picture of Jesus Christ because he was disobedient. He didn't want the people to get saved. And he didn't understand even what God was doing in God's grace. Now, Jesus, on the other hand, was totally obedient to the Father. He took God's punishment upon him for us. And he made all things, let alone understood all things. Amen? So you got to make sure that we don't go too far in this picture thing. Because Jonah himself is not the picture. The idea was Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the whale and Jesus would spend three days and three nights in the grave and uh, in the heart of the earth. And by the way, Jesus did not go to hell. There are people that try to teach that Jesus went to hell and suffered in the fires of hell and suffered all the suffering for all man, for all mankind. Uh-uh. Did not happen. It said, Thou will not suffer thy Holy One to see what? Corruption. Hell is the place of corruption. Jesus went to a place we call Abraham's bosom. And he waited there for the set time to fulfill the prophecy. And he took all of what you and I would classify as Old Testament saints believers in the Lord Jesus Christ from the Old Testament, all of those saved people who, who were there in this waiting place. And remember, there was a great gulf fixed between the waiting place of the saved and the waiting place of the condemned, or the biblical word is the damned, the eternally condemned. That's what that word means. That's why you should never, ever use it as a curse word, because you're not God. And so... Jesus went down there and he brought all of those people that were held in this waiting place to heaven to be with him. And when we die today, we go to be with the Lord. Amen. You see, God does everything in order. And the picture here is that you, you read here the 
the overriding theme is God's judgment. And he said, as Jonah was in the whale's belly for three days and three nights, and by the way, the book of Jonah says it was a great fish, and people want to argue over whether it was a great fish or a whale. Uh, I'll tell you what, in my book, uh, a whale equals great fish, all right? I know whales are mammals and all of that, but if it swims, I call it a fish. Uh, they called it a fish in the book of Jonah and a whale in the book of Matthew. And uh, that's what they argued about at the Scopes Monkey Trial. And that's what Clarence Darrow used to make a fool of, of um, oh, William Jennings Bryan. And all Mr. Bryan would have had to say was, uh, you can argue about fish in a whale all you want, Mr. Darrow. But Jonah was inside it for three days and three nights, and that's all the Bible says. Good day. But when you get wound up in the little things, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. And that's why we say Jonah was just a sign. Time period. By the way, here's something to ponder as Easter comes up. How do you get three days and three nights between Friday night and Sunday morning? We'll talk about that later. Uh, they've got explanations, but uh, they also have exclamations on how the national debt's not a problem today. Uh, they can explain all kinds of things, but that don't make it true, amen? And uh, the simple truth of the matter is, as we look here, Jonah was a sign. He was a sign, and he said, the men of Nineveh are going to rise up, um, it says, within judgment with this generation. He said, the men of Nineveh are going to be standing, these, uns these Gentiles because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And it says, their salvation is going to condemn you because a greater than Jonah is here and you refuse to believe me. You know, I think he was also using the obstinance of Jonah's hatred for the Ninevites to try and condemn these Pharisees once again for their obstinate hatred of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, those are the signs. These are the physical pictures uh, of Jesus. And I am sure that if you look hard enough, you can find others. But these are the major ones that we're going to deal with. And then, Lord willing, next week, uh, and uh, as, I, as I look at the ones that we're going to try to cover... Uh, we're probably going to need at least two Thursday nights to cover the pictures of Christ in the tabernacle. And, and then we'll finish this series on types or pictures of Christ uh, in, in the Bible. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time tonight. And Lord, we just ask that you would help us to see these pictures here. Lord, to see how simple salvation really is. Lord, to understand that you must be put into our life to take the bitterness out of it. And Lord, there is a time when we can go too far. And we can step over the line of your mercy. Now, praise God, we can't do that once we're saved. But Lord, we ask that you would Give grace for us to take warning of the prophet Jonah. 
and remember the work that you did even through that disobedient prophet. We ask you to help us to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, just take a few moments and open the altar if anybody would like to come and pray.